Old Testament that when the Word of God was read, that they stood together out of respect for God's words. Um, Matthew chapter 16, the very first thing I want to do, the first preaching from this pulpit, I want to be His words and not my own. Matthew chapter 16, direct your attention to verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He, he said to them, But who do you say? That I am. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. There is a strange tension, I would almost say a collision, between the idea of God is going to build His church. He will do it. But yet, you know what? You and I have a responsibility in that. There's only one way to strike that balance, and that is through prayer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we commit our time to the Lord? Father, we come into Your presence unworthy, knowing that we... We are only, apart from you, doomed and damned. But we thank you, Lord, that it is an amazing gift of grace. By faith, we can accept the gift that was offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. That our sins can be forgiven, that we can have hope, not just for this day and the next day, but for all of eternity in the work and through the blood of Jesus. We praise your name. We thank you. We love you. I would ask, Lord, right now as we commence a, another year as a local church, that you, Lord, right now would cover us with your shed blood, that you would protect us, I, I think especially of, of heads of homes that are here, Lord, guard our families, guard our, our minds, guard what we listen to, what we see and look at. Lord, guard our, our lips and our mouth so that we say and we proclaim only words that you want. Lord, we are in such desperate need of you. We ask, Lord, that, that we would completely rest and have faith and trust that you will build your church and that you will give to us the wisdom of how you use the gifts you have given to us for your glory so that this, Lord, continues to move forward in a way that the name of Jesus is exalted. Bless us now as we look into your word. We ask this in the powerful and strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated, and I won't ask you to stand up 
anymore throughout the message. Um, I, I, I love these little summations of the past year. Um, we've probably watched them, and this um, on the news this week kind of caught my eyes and ears. And I thought this was rather interesting that they had a list of the top five most Googled questions for 2015. Okay, some of you are actually saying, hmm, I wonder, and so you ask this question, the number one most Googled question, most asked question, this is millions upon millions of people have asked this question. Number one, how do I get rid of stress? Isn't that interesting that more people are overwhelmed than at any other time and they say, well, how do I deal with this? How do I get rid of this? Number two, interestingly, how to make kale chips. I don't know if there's a connection or not, but if you are under stress, go ahead and have some kale. I don't know. Number three, how much water should I drink to lose weight? Number four, how to write a resignation letter. I just, I just, I just want out. How do I do this properly? Number five, how to cook lentils. You know, I don't really know if there's a connection between each one of these, but I, I did think about it. Out of the five most asked questions, one and four are what? How, how do I deal with my stress? I have too much stress. And, and what's the other one? I, I want to quit. I just want out. I'm just done with it all. It's interesting that that's, that's what people are thinking. As we want take the first few steps into the new year, it is a perfect time. And, I, and I, I honestly love to evaluate, to assess and examine and appraise things, to ask questions. How are we doing, really? How, how are you doing? How are we doing as a local church? How has God been moving at Big Woods over this past year? We could ask questions. Who have we built relationships with? Who do you know whose life has literally been transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ? What can we give God glory for? What stories of praise or what answers to prayer have we seen over the past year? What has been accomplished? Or, or this question... What still needs to be accomplished? What needs to change? Are, are we taking the right steps to accomplishing the vision, Vision 2020, that God has given to us? Or are we moving further away from accomplishing the vision that God has given to us? We, we live in a world, you and I know, where we regularly and closely look at Examine, give attention to the many details, the areas of our life. Many of you have started, as always happens, what? A new exercise routine. You're going on a diet for 2016. We examine ourselves, how we're doing in our home or our marriage or our family, our work setting or situation of finances. But you realize this, when it comes to praying, as God instructs us to pray, what? Your kingdom come. God says that we pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have got to understand that that is bigger 
than any kind of, of, of a get-on-the-scales type of moment. Or it's, it's what? Time to, to sight in our rifle or balance our checkbook. It's bigger than all of those areas. This speaks of the work that God Himself, God Himself, Creator and Sustainer of the entire universe, every dust particle that we see moves in accordance to His hand and plan. It's that work. Did you realize this? By His grace and His grace alone, we are able to trust in His plan of redemption and rescue for our lives. By His grace alone, we are forgiven from our sin. We are freed from the wrath that we deserve. And by His grace alone, we get to wake up every single day and live in light of hope for the rest of eternity. Do you realize that on top of all of that, you get to tell people. You're allowed to tell people of God's incredible gift of grace. You get to have a tiny part in working toward fulfilling His will for His kingdom. We get to invest and we get to give and sacrifice into God's eternal kingdom that will reign and rule over all of mankind forever and ever. There is nothing, there's nothing that is more important than that. And that's why, that's why when it comes to fulfilling our vision, Vision 2020, that's why it means so much. That's why we're passionate That's why I stay up at night at times praying that we would seek to understand, own, and accomplish the vision that God has given to us. There's three primary questions I want, hopefully, you to to understand the answers to this morning as we look at this message. Number one is what, what, what exactly is Vision 2020? Why Vision 2020? And, and how, do we, how do we do it? How do we do this thing, this vision? Now, number one, first and foremost, is, is, is what is vision? What is vision 2020? What, what, is, what is our vision? Think about that. An amazing gift or ability that God has given to us to see clearly. Never, ever, ever take that for granted. Um, I think in my own life, I was born, I had really, really good eyesight when I was young, up until I was around 12 years old, and my eyesight got really bad really fast. You know, you hit that growth stage, they thought they tested for diabetes, something's wrong here, because it got really bad really fast. And so I, I went through what the whole glasses and contact scene and broken glasses and, and lost contacts. And one time my mom accidentally drank one of my contacts. There's always a struggle to what to see. And one time, um, over 10 years ago now, I was preaching on a Sunday and, and I, I got something under my lens and I was rubbing my eye, okay, and it kind of messed things up. And, and there was a guy sitting right in the back corner over there. And he came up to me afterwards. He said, Pastor, he said, do you have something wrong with your eye? And I said, well, no, I just, I got, I got dust or something underneath my, my lens. And he said, I, I'd like to do something. I'd like to give you a gift of vision. I'm like, well, what exactly do you mean? And he took me, okay, to one of the top Lasix clinics in, at Dartmouth College in, in Dartmouth, New Hampshire. And, and he bought for me and provided Lasix surgery. No more glasses, no more broken glasses, no more what? Lost or ripped lenses. 
And since that time, I've had, I've had better than 20-20 vision. Amazing gift. It was just given to me. You know, what's interesting is that within the last couple months, I've noticed that what? Nothing can correct. Your eyes still get old. And, and, I, and I bought my first pair of reading glasses. Because just with age, you still... And so you realize the amazing gift of what it is to see very clearly. That, that word vision is defined officially as the act or power of sensing with the eyes, having sight, or in this case, or the act or the power of sensing with anticipation that which will or may come to be. And that's that clear vision that I believe God himself gave to us as leaders of this local church. The elders and I met almost three years ago now. We locked ourselves up into the Hayfley's cabin and we prayed and we said, Lord, give to us a clear view so we, we can see where you want us to go as a local church. And that's where Vision 2020 was, was birthed. We exist as a church, what? To build relationships so that God is glorified first and foremost and that, that lives, homes, and families are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Vision, clear vision is necessary. If you're to move forward, that's that's what Vision 2020 is. Secondly, why Vision 2020? Like why why? I'll give you a brief statement. Because lives matter. Because people matter. And lives are at stake. Do you realize that? Every single day, heaven and hell awaits. Every day we live with an understanding that eternity is in the balance and time is ticking away. The clock never stops. And what? Yet in reality we realize, oh, we are, we are really busy. We are, we are what? Exhausted. We get, what are people Googling? We get stressed. We get to a place where we actually are so exasperated that we get distracted, off track. We actually get to a place that we say, how, 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 do I, how do I quit this thing? How do I just pull the eject handle? How do I get out of this? We get to that place. We want to quit. Why? Because this is really hard. Every day. Especially following Jesus. Especially in the context of the local church. Tom Rayner, who is a writer, researcher, president, CEO of Lifeway Resources, reports, wrote a great little book. It's called I Am a Church Member. I would recommend it. And he says this in his research. Listen to this. Nine out of ten churches in America, nine out of ten, that's 90% of churches in America are in decline or growing at a pace that is slower than their communities. It means what? It means that churches are actually losing grounds in their own backyards. Or another way to look at it, according to Rayner's research, is to look at it generationally. Get this, two-thirds or 66% of builders. Remember the, 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 the generation builders? That's anyone that is born before 1946. That's a lot of our grandparents probably. Anyone born before 1946 is considered a, a builder. Get this, 66% of all the builder generation 
consider themselves Christians or call themselves Christians or followers of Christ. Do you realize that today that there are a generation referred to as the millennials, the largest generation in all of American history, there's 80 million millennials. That's everyone born between 1980 and 2000. We have a lot of millennials right here. More than 80 million in the United States. And get this, less than 15% claim to be Christians, claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in that particular age. We, we have what? We have all but lost particular generation. And so what do we do? We, we begin to point fingers and we blame. Well, it's the secularism of our culture. It's the godless politics and, and politicians and we blame the liberal media and we blame the churches or hypocritical members. Churches are just filled with hypocrites anyway. Or we have what? We have uncaring pastors or elders. and So you've got someone to blame for the condition that the church is in today. This morning I am actually suggesting that rather than cast blame, I'm actually suggesting as we take the first couple steps into 2016, I'm suggesting that we look in the mirror. That rather than pointing fingers, you look first at yourself. Look in the mirror, but look through the lens that God has given to us of His Word. Look through the lens of Scripture, a biblical worldview. It's no better time to do this than at the new year. But rather than think, oh great, this is just like, this is bad and it's, it's going to get worse. I actually want to present to you the exact opposite. I, I want to present to you upon the authority of God's Word the hope, the, the hope that actually exists through the Word, through His words that we have been given to proclaim. By, by looking at His Word, it brings to us what necessary clarity into the vision that God has called us first and foremost, to understand. You stood a few moments ago, it wasn't that long ago, you remember, and we stood and read Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. It's an interesting conversation that, that, that ensues in that text, and it's between Jesus and his followers, or, or his disciples. If we kind of jump into the middle of the conversation. It goes something like this. Jesus was asking a very simple question, but it's very straight. It's very direct and to the points. The question is versed in, it, it worded in verse 13. It says, who, who do people, who do other people say that the Son of God is? Now let's set the context a little bit as far as what's happening in this particular moment. At this moment, Jesus and his teaching, both the king and the kingdom, are clearly being rejected by the majority of listeners, by those who have heard him. Now, they, they loved his work. They loved what? I was blind, but now I see. I was lame, but now I walk. They loved that part. But as far as the kingdom of gods, uh, no, we're out. It wasn't a very popular message. Many didn't, didn't see where Jesus was going. They didn't understand it. They certainly didn't agree with it. It's record that what Jewish leaders suggested that they just want him out. Jesus is just trouble. They want him gone altogether. Get rid of him. Even kill him. 
in, in reality, the followers of Jesus or the disciples were kind of on their own. They were a small group. They were a minority amongst the majority. They were on their own in their belief. The disciples actually believed that, that as the Messiah was going to be revealed, that there was going to be this great spiritual revival and awakening that everyone everywhere was going to what? Fall on their knees in repentance and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. But but it wasn't really going like that. It, it was looking nothing like that. As a matter of fact, as the conversation continues on in verse 21, Jesus says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm going to get killed there. So the, the whole plan... Kind of like, what's going on here? The whole thing kind of looks like it's doomed for failure. And Jesus asked this piercing question. What are people saying? Who I am? He, he doesn't ask the question, what are they saying about him? He, he doesn't ask the question, so do they think I'm a, a good guy? Like, do they think I'm nice? Do they think I'm a pretty gifted orator and teacher? Do, are they pleased? Do they think I'm a wonderful healer? They ask, who do they say the Son of God is? And the disciples, they just shoot straight. They got nothing to hide. They say, well, some people think that you're John the Baptist who came back to life again. John the Baptist didn't really fit either. You don't. Some people say that, that you are Elijah the prophet or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus kind of turns the corner and he he squares them right into the face and he says, who do you say that I am? My man, Peter, what does he do? He just automatically speaks for the whole rest of the group, right? No one else really has a chance to say anything because Peter immediately just just speaks up and he says, what? You, you're the Christ. Another translation has, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now what's interesting is many times as Peter, okay, as they say, gets quite a taste for sandal leather, as many times as Peter kind of puts his foot into his mouth, guess what? Peter gets it. Bang on. Jesus, matter of fact, loves his answer. Jesus calls him blessed. He says, what, what you have said isn't from the flesh, but is from God himself. Since that time, since the time that, that Peter got the right answer, just like Peter said, well, you're, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. Do you realize since that time, it has been the church's job to point to Christ? Well, why do you come here? Well, I, I come here with one purpose, to exalt Christ, to point to Christ. We point what? To the fact that, that just as Peter shows others that Jesus is here as the Messiah, so are we to point to the one, the only one who is able to rescue and redeem. Then Jesus makes this comment, what you are, Peter, and upon this rock, and I love this next phrase, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell 
for Hades will not overpower it. You understand the disciples, because of how things were going, because of their despair, because of their brokenheartedness, because of their sense of almost discouragement, they needed this encouragement. Now think about the church throughout, throughout the ages of history. There have been an ebb and flow. The church has gone through times of successes and setbacks. There have been ups and downs, times of discouragement and persecution, times when followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have been what? They have, have had rocks thrown at them. They have been beat or imprisoned. They have been mocked, ridiculed, maligned, rejected, ignored, set aside. I kind of thought about it. How do people perceive you as a follower of Christ today? You're just wasting time. You give, you give money to the local church? Are you crazy? Th- think about the reception that the majority has of the few true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys are just out of date. You don't really believe all what, what that Bible says. You believe, really, that like an ark was built and eight people survived. You believe. And so we, but in similar times, just like history, are set aside. Thus the need, thus the important, timely encouragement of what I, God Himself says, I will build my church. Just as the disciples needed that word of encouragement, we too need that word of encouragement. Why? You see, men can build buildings. We can do that all, all, all day long. Men can lead organizations, but only Jesus Christ can build His church. There has been and, and remains my desire to see Christ build His church this year. I am praying for that. Not us, but Christ. That's why what? We're, we're not going to soft sell. We're not going to use gimmicks and tricks and techniques, manipulations to increase numbers in any way. No. All we do is what God has called us to do. Where it says what? You love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love me and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what we're committed to do. We love God and we love other people. And what do we do? We, in a sense, step back, move out of the way, and let God do what He does best. The greatest way that we love God and love people is to lead them by the hand towards what? Towards the living, breathing gospel of Jesus Christ. I love how Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says this, that God saved us and He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, What? But because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus. And then he says this with an exclamation point. Christ Jesus who abolished death. He beat death and He brought life. At at Big with at this local church right here, if you have committed to be a part, you've, you've followed the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I am all in. At Big Church, we have what? We have our clear, concise, marching orders. Our purpose is His purpose. 
Our purpose is what? Is to offer to everyone the Christ, the Son of the living God who abolished death and brought life. Point them. Tell them about your own story, how you once were dead, but now you are alive. Darkness to light, destruction to hope, sickness to healing. You see this all over the place. Every person, every story is important. Who would have ever thought that Peter would have got the question right? He was fishing. And yet the Holy Spirit used him at one particular point to be a powerful preacher of the gospel. Who would have ever picked Saul of Tarsus, a what? A hater of Christians to be such and become such an amazing apostle down through the pages of history. I was reading this week of C.S. Lewis. Think an agnostic professor. And yet God used him to be an amazing orator and wrote some of the most, most powerful literary pieces. When we think of Chuck Colson, some of you remember Chuck Colson. He was Nixon's hatchet man and yet he becomes such a leader in the 20th century of the local church, all over the place. Christ and the power of the gospel exist, what? In, in transforming lives. As I, as I have looked back over this, this past year, and as I have been introduced to new people, some of you I, I did not know this time last year. And, and I've, I've seen you as you've, what, offered your life and, and God has taken that and has changed it. And I am most encouraged. I am most thankful for that. We have seen God's hand of blessing all over the place. His church, His body. And we're growing. Praise God because of that. We, we grow what? Because we understand that, that strange collision that He will build His church. But guess what? He chooses to use us in the process. So finally, how, how, how are we to do this? How, really, how do we do this Vision 2020 thing? I was encouraged when Jess announced that we're gearing up already for another Guatemala trip. And some of you, I trust sitting here, will be going along. This, this year to Cruz Blanca, we are building relationships, an amazing opportunity to expand the gospel. Um, when you go to the same place over and over and over and over again, we tell you, it kind of loses its flash of short-term missions, but it's going deep in relationships, and that's really important. Uh, this past year, I've had the uh, opportunity to go a couple different times, and this past year, um, we were driving back from Cruz Blanca, coming in, on a, in a bus back to Guatemala, and I had the privilege of sitting next to a man who was from Guatemala. He was a translator. His name was Roger. He was actually a, a, a corporate lawyer um, who had given up a day of his work to come and translate the gospel to kids. He was a, an amazing man, a believer, a brother in Christ. And, and as I was dialoguing with, with Roger, getting to know, he kept he kept looking at his watch. He kept, are we going to like, are we going to be? Do you know what time we're going to be back? Are we going to be back in time? And I, I was like, well, I don't know. You know what? What's what's the big deal, Roger? We get to spend time together on a bus. This is cool. Have some of your water, and 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 he said, "Well, I have to get back because I have I have home group tonight." 
I said, oh, that's, that's neat, really. You guys have home groups? We have home groups at our church, too. And he, and he said, yeah, he goes, I'm leading our home group. It was, it was on Monday night. And he said, I'm leading home groups on Monday night. And then he goes, on Friday night, I go to another home group, and I am led in that home group. So in a sense, he's, he's shepherding one group, and he's being shepherded in the other group on Friday. I thought, that's really neat. I said, well, well how's, how's home groups going? Like, how many home groups does your church have? Thinking, like, we have 11. And he goes, oh, well, and he thought for a moment. He goes, well, we have, yeah, he goes, we just passed. We have 2,400 home groups. I'm like, really? How many, how many people do you have in your home groups? He goes, well, we have 10. As soon as we get to 10, we just break into another group. So we have 10 people in 2,400 home groups. Now, I'm not a brilliant guy, but I can add zeros. I'm like, wait a minute, you have, you have 24,000 people in your church? And he goes, yeah, we get together on Sundays. We're having some seating issues. <laughs> and I was like, I was kind of like, you know, like, you just like, weird. like, what do you say? And, and, I, and I didn't like the, the way that I worded the question. I said, do you have like, like what's your um, secret? Um, do you have a strategy? And, and I loved his response. As a matter of fact, I, I had to borrow his pen and I wrote the response down. He goes, well, we don't, we don't really have a strategy. He said, our only commitment is to clip and paste the ministry of Jesus. And I was like, clip and paste the ministry. He goes, yeah, think about it. Jesus just made disciples and those disciples made disciples and those disciples made disciples. And he goes, that's all you do. I'm like, wow, let me write let me write that down. Clip and paste Jesus' ministry. You realize that's really what we are seeking to do? That's, that's not just our goal for home groups here. It's not just our goal for the entire church, but we just do exactly what Jesus Christ did. Don't add to it. We don't have to change it. We don't have to try to impress. Just clip and paste His ministry. What did Jesus do? He poured himself into the lives of other people. What did those people do? They poured their lives into the others and so on. That's what we have got to be doing. People pouring into people. It's people over programs. Inevitably, it was. We do that, it forces us to ask the question, well, how are we doing? We understand. I am, I am, I'm so grateful that, that God is moving. I'm so grateful that we're beginning to kind of like, I, I described big ones. I was telling someone just this weekend, I was away that, that um, or earlier this week when I was out of town, I said, Big Woods isn't a big church. Big Woods isn't really a small church. We're like that awkward 13-year-old teenager, you know, where they kind of like bump into things and, and knock things over. We're, we're kind of like that. But I say, it's really neat because what happens to their 13-year-olds grow. And we're in that process of, of growing and it is exciting. Yes, it's aggravated at times and frustrating at times, but praise God, there are testimonies all over the place of God building His church. I want to give you an example. I want to, I want to leave you with this thought. We're going to show a short video of an individual, a young man, so many of you know him. His name is Stuart. He works with our youth right now. And uh, Stuart's going to share a testimony. If you have that set, I want you to listen very carefully to the words 
okay, that Stuart chooses to use when he shares his testimony. Listen to this. Hi, my name is Stuart Redke, and I've been going to Big Woods for four years. I rejected Christianity because of uh, hypocrisy I saw in those people who claimed to be Christians. Um, I grew up going to church on a fairly regular basis, but I mean, we didn't like study the Bible in the house, or we didn't uh, do a lot of those things. So this is kind of something we did on Sundays. I showed up at uh, New Life College Ministry, uh, just kind of out of the blue, just, and uh, between people like uh, Cheyenne and Sierra and um, Booker and Aaron just bringing me along, I eventually came to Big Woods Church. At that time, I was known as the campus atheist. Uh, one of them, Booker in particular, called me the flaming atheist of campus, so I was quite a character. You the night. Um, over the next uh, year, um, from first getting to Lock Haven, um, I had a lot of conversations with students, a lot of conversations with leaders in the church, and I just remember one night where God just kind of broke down all those barriers, and me as um, this hardened, atheistic individual who was so positive in my anti-belief in God that I'm never going to be a Christian um, was just, uh, I guess you could say, forced to his knees and really recognizing that um, God is real and that I have been wrong all this time. I would say for those who um, were in my position or in some position where they're uh, rejecting and not following God, uh, God can do anything, no matter how stubborn you are, no matter how um, offended you are uh, by Him, He can turn any man's heart to stone, um, which is what He did um, for those um, uh, believers who are trying to figure out, you know, what, what do I do, what should I do, um, I, I would say just try. You don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be this great debater. Uh, the individuals who made the greatest difference to me, like Sierra, just came up and said, you know, I care, tell me your story. Um, us just being there and just having influence in someone's life can be a big deal. In regards to who gets the glory, uh, solo Deo Gloria, God alone be the glory. Listen to what Stuart said. He said, God can do anything. God can turn anyone's heart from stone. 
you know, we, we think that it's all about what we are. It's really, it's not. We commit that person into God's hands and pray for them. Listen to this. He said, just try. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a great debater. Just try. A lot of us are frozen like, what if? He said this, the individuals made the greatest difference in my life, like Sierra, just came up to me and said, I care. Tell me your story. Do, do you do you do that? Like that's that's what that's understanding and fulfilling the mission that God has called us to do. Just being there and having an influence in someone's life. Stuart says this is a big deal, and a lot of times we're like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just cooking a meal for a young mom that had a baby." No, that's that's like an amazing thing. Keep doing that, but it's it's just all I can do is, you know, I can go and pick them up and give them a ride to church. That no, that's what it is. Keep doing that right there. It's it's going to someone. It's sitting. It's listening. It's praying with them. It's crying with them. Whatever it is, it's building that relationship. We understand that that people people desire to be connected to to what to a group of people who are going somewhere, who have a clear vision, and that the vision is bigger than us. The vision is all about all about the. I was reading in my quiet time this week, and I'll leave to conclude with this verse. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, so much in our world is just like, it's just, and, and we, our recipients, are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen to this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We are amazed at the work of God, at the person of God. May we hold on to that. And may we see the Lord building his church and allowing us, his His people, to have a tiny little part in that process. Father, we love you and we thank you for the calling you've given to us. Give us your strength to be obedient to it. In your name we pray.